make surgery less common, but when it needs to happen, make it less painful, make it quicker recovery, make it better outcomes. And I think that's where we're headed and it's where we've been heading for a while. But it is an incredible privilege to be able to focus on one part of the body, which is foot and ankle for me. Campbell Clinic affords me that opportunity. We're, we're a large clinic. We are a world-class organization. We're recognized as a leader in orthopedics. And because of that, we have, in my opinion, some of the best of the best in each subspecialty such that I don't have to worry about the shoulder and the elbow or the hand and wrist or sports issues of the knee or replacing joints in the knee and the hip because my partners do that. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. And I'm your host, Sam Coates. Over a century years old, Campbell Clinic physicians are recognized national and international leaders in the field of orthopedics. With engaging conversations and stories, you'll hear how our physicians integrate the latest orthopedic treatments and medical advancements in musculoskeletal care through their continued and ongoing clinical research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's operative orthopedic textbook. To learn more about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com. And for more podcast episodes, search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Our guest today is Dr. David Richardson. Dr. Richardson is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in foot and ankle surgery with Campbell Clinic. Dr. Richardson attended Baylor University and Quilling College of Medicine. Dr. Richardson then completed his orthopedic residency at UT Campbell Clinic and his foot and ankle fellowship at Ortho Carolina in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, Dr. Richardson was a program director at UT Campbell Clinic from 2008 to 2013 and serves on the board at UT Campbell Clinic. Dr. Richardson has published numerous articles and book chapters on foot and ankle disorders, surgical techniques, and lectures around the country. Join us for this episode where you will hear what it means to grow up with a strong family connection to Campbell Clinic, and how do you grow the impact to new communities while not compromising the excellence of the past. Advice he has to share for parents and their children on how to have fun, play, but be wise in how to protect yourself. As a runner and tennis player himself, what should adults do to take care of themselves when it comes to exercise and sports they love, plus so much more? Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. David Richardson. Dr. Richardson, great to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So I read Campbell Clinic did not send me this. But I read one of your patients said this. They said, I had to rush in without an appointment due to a serious wound. Dr. Richardson was great. The whole experience was streamlined. I'm confident that I will make a good recovery. When you think about your work and all the patients you see on a daily basis, what does it take to give somebody that experience when they're in a very stressful situation themselves? I think first and foremost, it takes empathy. Uh, I, I think just 
um, understanding that they are in uh, a very stressful situation, one of the more stressful times of their life. They're hurt or they're hurting or they uh, feel like they can't do what they want to do um, from an uh, activity standpoint. And so um, understanding that and understanding that, that they are not uh, in a position to, to know exactly what's needed, but they, are, they do know that, that they're not where they want to be. And whether that's something like a, a bunion or that's something like a broken ankle that has a bad wound um, that's, that's more emergent, this is a stressful time for them. And so understanding uh, and being empathetic to that, taking the time to listen to them, having a, a great team around to facilitate that experience is obviously a, incredibly important. When you think about the staff that you work with and the staff at Campbell Clinic, for people to have that experience, what does that take? Well, yeah, we couldn't do our job at all without the, the ancillary staff or the, all the staff, the support staff around it from, from administration on down. Jennifer Brown is my assistant, and she's my right hand, and she does so much for me that I, behind the scenes that I couldn't even talk about right now because she's so efficient with it and so good at her job that I hardly know what she does. But I do know that I couldn't do my job without her. Most of the time, I am not a frontline person. They have spoken to three or four other uh, folks at Campbell Clinic before they get to me. And if they don't do their job well, then the experience is not going to be very good. And luckily, we have great folks that work at Campbell Clinic. So by the time they get to me, they've almost always had a good experience. And, uh, and so that makes my job easier, having a support staff uh, that's, that's competent and empathetic and, uh, and bright has been one of the joys of this job. The joys of seeing it all come together. Yes. Uh, it, it, it just runs smoothly in a way that is a little bit beyond me because so many people do their jobs well, and it takes so many different people doing their job well to make this, uh, this clinic run well. And Campbell Clinic is you know, one of the leaders in orthopedics for, for a number of reasons, but in large part, it's because we have employees that do their job really well and have trained for years to, to be in that position and know, know what, it, uh, what to do. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that really make this place run. When you talk about being a leader in orthopedics, and the staff coming together to provide the entire experience. What happens to the patient if that entire experience is not provided through all of the staff? It only takes one. I mean, it only takes them not having a good experience at uh, the front desk or even to back up from there, just making the appointment, not being able to get where they need to go, going online and not being able to see how to make an appointment, all the things that our marketing director uh, does so well to make that that initial uh, contact easy, uh, facilitate that, and uh, and then from the front desk and them having a good experience getting checked in to being taken to the back by our clinical assistants and going to X-ray and having our radiology technicians take care of them and know their job and do their job well. 
if I don't have good x-rays, it's difficult for me to do my job. And that's just one small part of, of the experience for the patient. And so it only takes one person to, to not do their job well for, for things to, to start to fall apart and for them not to have a good experience. And so that's why it's so important for everyone to, to be on the same page. You've talked about your own 47-year history with Campbell Clinic. Is that right? Yes. What's it like for you to think about the experience as a whole and the commitment to each patient and then to also think about Campbell Clinic and your contribution to society when you know that you're bringing the value and the healing and the expertise to patients, a part of the community that you were born and raised in? Well, the idea of me bringing healing or, or uh, something valuable to this community is, is humbling to think about that. I am given that opportunity because of this clinic. Uh, I'm given the opportunity to do that because of where I am. Uh, I first became associated with Campbell Clinic in 1976, when my father came here to do a fellowship, he came here to do a hand fellowship in 1976. And about five years later, he switched to foot and ankle, which is which is my subspecialty too, because there really wasn't a foot and ankle uh, subspecialty or very few folks did foot and ankle at, at the time. And so he switched over to doing that. And so I have been a part of Campbell Clinic and Campbell Clinic has always been a very tight-knit group. I think of them like a family for me. It is a family feel here, and we talk about that all the time. We talk about our values all the time. But growing up um, at my house, we always did the Christmas party, and my dad was always the uh, Santa Claus for the for the party, <laughs> which was sort of funny because I think he weighs about 140 pounds. So <laughs> he had to, uh, had to put a number of pillows uh, up <laughs> under his shirt. What's that like? For you to see an orthopedic group with such a rich history and so much opportunity, but also to continue to do the work the right way. And what will that mean for the future? Yeah, it's a difficult thing for sure is to grow in the way that we've grown and maintain the culture, um, maintain the expertise and the focus on our patients first and foremost, but on employees and on the community, that gets in some ways harder and harder to do as you get bigger. Some ways, I guess it gets somewhat easier because there's just more resources available, but it is easy to lose focus. And you end up needing to rely on your leaders to, to keep you focused. And, and luckily, we have incredible leaders like Fred Azar and Daniel Shoemate and some others. That, that Daniel's our, our CEO and, and Fred Azar is our chief of staff, who uh, just are wonderful people, have incredible character, and are going to keep us focused on the things we need to be focused on. But we, when I first got here, the, the Campbell Clinic was a single building on Madison and a fairly small building um, on, on Madison um, that I spent quite a bit of time in, too. But from that small building to where we are now with multiple locations, we just opened three new locations, um, satellite locations. But to Germantown, where we have our, our main campus, 
um, to all the locations that we have around town, including South Haven, which is where I work full-time clinically, and then uh, about to open in Oxford as well. But to grow in that way and to keep the culture is uh, a challenge, and I personally believe we've risen to that challenge very well. When you think about South Haven and Oxford and any other communities, for somebody listening to this that's a part of those communities today, what are they going to receive by Campbell Clinic coming to their town? Being a part of the community, and right right now it's South Haven, and we've been in South Haven for decades, being a part of the community allows you to get to know the community. It allows the community to get to know you. You get to invest in the community. You get to know the people. And the people in each location have their own culture. Um, even though it's close, uh, the the folks that I see in South Haven are a little different, uh, have a little different approach, are involved in different things in just a slightly different way than than Germantown or or Arlington or downtown. It's a little different population, and getting to know them well. You get to know what the priorities are, what matters, and how best to treat them. You can you have a point of reference that you just don't have if if you're not in that community, or you don't have as well if you're not in that community. And I have been asked uh, a number of times if I would like to come to the main campus to be in this campus, and the folks of Germantown and 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 Cordova and Collierville and, and this area are uh, incredible folks, um, but I am a bit wed to to South Haven and, and to that uh, to the to the people there. I think they're some of the greatest people in the world, and um, and love have loved treating them. And that's the main reason I don't want to leave is because I love that population. I love I love the the folks who live there and uh, work there, and they're just. They're just good-hearted, hardworking people, and uh, and I've I've loved being a part of that community. And I, I don't think I, I or Campbell Clinic could have that perspective without having a physical location there. At least not in the same way. So you're saying once you come to these any town wherever it is, the physician there, the staff there, you get to know the people, and you get to know the way they are, and you serve that community, and you're vested in that community. Is that fair? That's fair. And being there also, uh, you do get vested and you feel like you want to do the best for them. And you always want to do the best for your, your patients, but you want to do what's best for that community also, not just the patient, but the community when you're, when you're a part of it and when you're, you're in that community. And I'm going to be also at the Oxford Clinic uh, when it opens. I'm super excited about being part of, of Oxford and, and that community. I take care of a number of patients from Oxford, quite a few patients from Oxford. But again, being a part of being in the community physically and, and, and getting to have a clinic there just gives me a perspective that I think is difficult to have without, without that physical presence. You said that it's important that foot and ankle became its own subspecialty about 35 years ago. What do you mean by that? In my humble and incredibly biased opinion, foot and ankle is one of the most complex parts of the body. It has you know, the 26 bones and all the, all the ligaments and tendons and, and that, 
that go along with it. It's a complex, mechanically complex uh, part of the body. And then on top of that, you put weight on the foot and ankle in a way that you don't a lot of other areas, not to uh, take anything away from no uh, competition, here. no competition here, but uh, upper extremity doesn't bear weight in the same way that uh, as a foot and ankle surgeon, I have to consider um, a lot of other parts of the body don't have to fit into a device, a shoe for me, but doesn't have to, they don't have to fit into something in a way that, that I need to think through and uh, as a foot and ankle surgeon. And so um, our, it was very important in the mid-70s um, and somewhat earlier than that, but really in the mid-70s when it, when it really started to take off as, a, as its own subspecialty, it was very important to focus on that. And it exploded in terms of our knowledge of foot and ankle when we started doing that. When orthopedists started focusing on foot and ankle, our knowledge of of the mechanics of, of foot and ankle, the anatomy of foot and ankle, really uh, uh, took off from there. And we went 30 years or so where we were really trying to understand the foot and the ankle in, the, in a way that hadn't been understood ever in history, with uh, certainly with advanced imaging that we had with MRIs and CTs, but also simply the number of incredibly bright people that were trying to figure out the, the, the mechanics of the foot and ankle. And then after 30 years and, and really having a very solid foundation of the mechanics and the anatomy, over the last 15 or 20 years, the, the, this, this remaining from the early 2000s, I would say, until now, has been an explosion in the ways we can treat foot and ankle. Before, certainly, we had the plates and screws and some and some you know wires and things like that 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 you could treat uh, any part of the body. Any uh, that was just w- what we had for any part of the body. But what we have specifically for foot and ankle now, and the ways to treat foot and ankle specific pathology, has exploded in the last. 25 years, 20 years, last 20 years. And so what does that mean for your patients? How does that benefit them? It means better outcomes. I mean, it means faster recovery. It means less pain um, with the way we do things. It means less surgery. Um, We can treat things non-operatively in a way uh, that we couldn't back then, or we didn't at least, because we simply didn't know how to do it in a way that we do now. And just to give credit where credit's due, that in large part, that's standing on the shoulders of giants, as we say. That's standing on our forefathers who, who laid that groundwork and allowed us to, to have an understanding of anatomy and uh, with so that we can treat these things non-operatively. And the number of people that, that do research and dedicate their life to doing research and, and looking at these complex problems and then making commitment to having uh, data-based solutions to it, to looking at, at, at data and information and not, and not just saying, you know, uh, it's, this seems to work well or my mentor told me to do it this way, but actually doing research and doing studies that have patient population that they can see outcomes. And, and that's what has allowed us to, 
to really advance is because we have these folks who have come before us and who have committed their lives to to knowing more about the foot and ankle. So what you're saying is as you're able to really create a specialty with foot and ankle, you're able to just double down on this part of the body and you're able to really understand, study the data and direct time and energy to it to where you can understand it and help people in ways that you couldn't before if it was just generally looked at as it was. That's right. We, it's just always building on the past, but never being okay with where you are. And it's been incredible, the innovation we've had in the last 20 years, but nobody hopefully wants to stop here. You, you want to continue to build on what you have and, and improve people's lives, make surgery less common, but when it needs to happen, make it less painful, make it quicker recovery, make it better outcomes. And I think that's that's where we're headed and it's where we've been heading for a while. But it is an incredible privilege to be able to focus on one part of the body, which is foot and ankle for me. Um, Campbell Clinic affords me that opportunity. We're, we're a large clinic. We are a world-class organization. We're, we're recognized um, as a leader in orthopedics. And because of that, we have, in my opinion, some of the best of the best in each subspecialty such that I don't have to worry about the shoulder and the elbow or the hand and wrist or or sports issues of the knee or replacing joints in the knee and the hip because my partners do that and they're very, very good at what they do. And so they let me concentrate in one particular area that I love to, to concentrate on, the foot and ankle. And so, yes, it allows me to, to double down so to speak, in in that area and focus uh, just on that area and get very, very comfortable with that that area of the body. You know, that's a privilege that I recognize that not every orthopedist has uh, around the country. It's something that Campbell Clinic uh, affords me, and I, I try to take advantage of that. I'm curious if you can say more. You talked about how Campbell Clinic is intentional about creating the space, the focus for physicians and their staff to focus in a very specific and intentional way on parts of the body. And you can trust your partners that are very good at what they do on other parts of the body. Can you maybe talk about the way Campbell Clinic operates with intentionality to really create an environment of expertise that's going to be driven off of the research, the growth, and the future while always keeping the patient and the care at the forefront versus spreading people thin? Well, to speak to something we've already already mentioned, the fact that we get to, to focus just on our area and therefore those that, are, that work with me closely, like my assistant and my clinical assistants and the uh, x-ray uh, techs, they know exactly what to do for different problems concerning foot and ankle because they've been around it and they're trained on it. Uh, the x-ray techs know exactly the kind of x-rays I, I, I want to take. So it starts with not just me being focused on foot and ankle, but those that are that are close to me are also just have to focus on, on that area or just need to focus on that area. And so they get very good at, at what they do. Campbell Clinic allows uh, us time to do research. They allow us time to 
participate in leadership activities around the country. Um, they uh, allow us time to teach both residents and and nationally and, and internationally. So affording us that space to improve what we do and and improve our our area and our knowledge and also to share what we've learned with others uh, benefits the the patients in and our community. Uh, I do think that always in the background of anything that we do uh, with research and and education um, is ultimately is about helping the patient and about making the patient's experience better, first and foremost, outcomes better, um, but the whole experience uh, be better. And I think our focus on that, uh, having that as our number one priority, uh, everything else uh, follows from that. And, and there's a lot of organizations, um, that have colleagues, organizations that that aren't given that space to grow in a way that Campbell Clinic allows us to do. And that has been a part of our culture for 100 plus years and still is. And it's a, it's a big priority for us to have that time to improve ourselves. And what you're saying is because of the freedom and the empowerment to not just take care of your patients and to do your own work, but your power to give back, the power to teach, the power to train, the power to learn and collaborate. It's continuing to sharpen the expertise and the skill sets of not just the physicians, but it's it's leveraging all the experience and wisdom of the Campbell Clinic physicians to add that back to society as a whole and to advance the progress of orthopedics around the world. Is that fair? That is fair. And, and one way we do that is, is writing, writing Campbell's Operative Orthopedics. It's the number one it's the most widely referenced orthopedic text in the world, um, which is a little hard to, to fathom. We're in most uh, every country in the world with the Campbell's uh, operative orthopedics, our, our, our orthopedic text. And so allowing us time to do things like that does improve our skill, but it also improves uh, physician skills around the world to hopefully benefit the communities far away from from our own community uh, while also benefiting uh, this community. What does that feel like as a surgeon to know that you're not just helping your own city, you're advancing the care and service to patients around the world? Well, it's awesome. I mean, and, and I mean that from like really cool, but also a bit overwhelming to think through that. It's certainly humbling um, to think through that. I I would never have that opportunity without being a part of this clinic. Campbell Clinic has such an incredible history of leadership and uh, education and our contributions to orthopedics. And and I I say I loosely. I've been a part of Campbell Clinic for 17 years, and Campbell Clinic's been around for over 100. Um, But because of Dr. Campbell and those that came after him, uh, it it allows us to the opportunity to affect communities around the world and quite literally affect communities around the world um, with Campbell's operative, but also we have folks that that go around the world to teach and and, and teach in most every country in the world, and we have a number of uh, 
partners who go to different countries to work and to serve and to teach uh, by doing surgery and, and helping the patients in that area, but more importantly, to teach the surgeons there and to teach folks there how to improve the lives of, of their patients. And I think making that uh, an emphasis for Campbell Clinic and Campbell Clinic uh, allowing that to, to be a priority uh, says a lot about those that, that established Campbell Clinic. It says a lot about, about our leadership, that, that we still have that focus on, on improving the lives of those around the world and not just in our own community. Yes, sir. That's got to be fulfilling. Earlier when we were not recording, you were talking about that you see patients of all ages from roughly four all the way up to however long somebody's going to live. With your work and what you've seen, is there anything from a youth standpoint that's really important for your patients? Like if a mother or father is listening to this, what can they keep in mind to make sure that their child is going to take care of themselves, take care of their feet, their ankles in a way to where you know, they're just going to make good decisions and they're going to set themselves upright from the start. I love taking care of kids and youth because their only desire is to continue to be active, to do what they want to do, to get back on the football field or to get back on the balance beam or get back on the volleyball court. So it's fun sometimes it's difficult to rein them in, and, and a lot of times children and youth have a difficult time uh, understanding that they need to rest. But it's also uh, motivating to me and fulfilling to me uh, taking care of that, that population because their desire is just to be more active and just get back out there and do what they need to do. So I guess... To answer your question about about what parents need to think about, number one is have have the right equipment if you can, and and sometimes shoes and and the right equipment can be probably I suspect prohibitively expensive, but uh, having the right shoes and wearing the right pads and and having uh, you know wearing a helmet when when it's called for is is important. Um, I'm going to diverge just a little bit because I said helmet. For parents to always have their child wear a helmet if they're riding their bike or on a scooter or on inline skates or whatever they're on, uh, I hear so often when I'm at Lebanon or Children's Hospital or uh, Baptist Children's that they were just in their driveway and so didn't think they needed to wear a helmet or elbow pads or knee pads because they were just in their driveway. And it's important for, for parents to know that that most, the most common place that children experience head trauma um, and, and uh, very oftentimes broken bones is in their driveway. That's the most common time that a child will get and will have head trauma is in their driveway. So because they're in their driveway doesn't mean they shouldn't be wearing a helmet. I diverged a little bit from the topic. But it's great taking care of children and youth. They're a wonderful demographic because they're full of life and they want to get back to being active. And, you know, if they're as long as they wear 
reasonable shoes and they uh, generally take care of themselves. They, they heal faster than we do as, as adults, certainly faster than I do. And, uh, and so they, they heal fairly predictably, they heal quickly, and they're just uh, getting back to doing what, what they want to do. If a parent notices a child uh, limping or they're complaining of a, uh, something, a nagging pain that doesn't go away with some rest, and they, they ought to see someone. If, it's, if they're limping, stop them from playing pretty quickly. Children rarely uh, are are trying to fake it. They uh, obviously some some kids want out of doing what they're doing, but most of the time they're not. And so if if you see them struggling, then stop what they're doing, pull them out, rest them, and if that doesn't take care of it, see someone and get it checked out. You're a runner and you play tennis. How does that help you relate to your patients that are adults? Well, particularly as run, uh, in running or as a runner, it, it helps me to know how difficult it is to take time off because it, running is, and I think probably most every sport, but it seems to me particularly running and maybe just because I'm a runner, you do it for your mental health as much as, as, much as your physical health. And so not being able to participate in that is incredibly difficult, and I understand that. And I, I had a nagging knee injury that limited my running for a year, and it almost drove me crazy. And so doing what I can to get runners back as quickly as I can, but also trying to talk their language and, and, and let them know that this is going to possibly or probably uh, prolong uh, your recovery if you don't rest, if you don't take some time off. And there are other things that you can do and being able to to speak to that. Like I just got into cross training, got into swimming and biking because I just couldn't run the way I wanted to. But being able to speak to athletes knowing that they are desperate to, to get back to doing what they want to do. And most of, uh, at least a whole lot of folks I see, haven't ever been injured or had an injury that really kept them out of doing what they want to do. They could always sort of work their way through it or fight their way through it or, you know, quote, gut it out. And, and having an injury that's, that's not going to be fixed with that approach is difficult. But I've been there too. And, I, and, and so being able to speak to that, you know, being able to play tennis and get a shoulder tendonitis or, or, a, or a lateral ankle sprain, an ankle sprain where I roll my ankle, is really frustrating, and um, the fact that that I I do those uh, participate in, in sports and have my whole life I think allows me to again empathize with them and understand their frustration and, and be able to express to them the the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing and yet understanding their frustration at the same time. So you're saying having empathy and really understanding what it's like they're going through, and then as a result, really trying to help them understand the best path forward for them, and then what it will take to really make the recovery that they need. And that's what it's taught you. That's right. And get them back as quickly as possible to doing what they love doing. Because I, I do understand that it's, that, that telling them 
you know, telling a runner, stop running, you can just swim, is not the right answer. Certainly understanding that, that there are other things you can do to, to, to exercise is important, but swimming is not the same as running. And if, if that's your passion is running, I think that, that as someone who, who is a runner, uh, I, can, I can speak to that. And I understand that's from any aspect, you know, from whatever it is they love to do. Um, telling them, "Well, oh, just don't do that anymore," is naive and and dismissive to them, and and I understand that. And being a part of that world, I think allows me to to empathize with that. What's most important for adults to take care of their, themselves well regarding feet and ankle? As you've heard forever, certainly diet and exercise, and you know, trying to to eat reasonably well and 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 have a fairly consistent. Uh, exercise regimen, whatever that is, whatever it is you're you're into, and 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 forever length of time you you do that daily or or weekly or whatever it is you're into time, but but being consistent with it is important. And I think as we get older, what's really important is when you commit yourself to a routine to go really slowly, unless you've been doing it your whole life. If you've been consistent with it, that's different. But if you haven't, if you've been out of it, we all have times that we aren't able to or life just gets in the way of being able to exercise in the way we want to be as active as we want. And what we want to do to make up for that lost time is to be really active right at the start of our of our regimen or our, our plan to, to get back in shape, but that's not really the best way to approach it. You need to slowly ramp up to where you want to be, not, you know, go run three miles the first time you have run in six months. Um, you're just asking for an injury. So have the right equipment, have the right running shoes, go somewhere that can fit them you know, fit your shoe to you and help you out with that, at least to start until you know what you want. And then if you want to, you know, buy online or do it yourself, that's one thing. But it, but when you're starting, have someone who knows what they're doing help you with, with the shoe wear and, and the equipment. And then go slow. Go slower than you think you should and work your way up to it. If you're consistent, it'll get there. And once you're conditioned and your body is used to, to that, then you can start pushing things a, a little bit. But that's what I see probably more than anything is someone starting an exercise regimen and and just do a whole lot right off the bat and they end up with a tendonitis or a stress fracture and, and then they're out again for a period of time and that's incredibly frustrating to them and I know. And it's much better just to start slow and say, that I, I know I could go faster than this and I'm sure you could, but but work your way up to it. And what you're saying is when you see people that enjoy it, they find what they love and they just stay consistent and they don't push it, they're gonna take care of themselves and they're gonna they're gonna be able to do it for the long game. That's right. And and I'm not saying don't push it. Push it, but push it once you're conditioned. Don't push it if you if you've been out of the game for, for a bit. Um, that's not the time to push it. When you first start, go slow. And then once you're conditioned, if you've been doing it consistently for six months and you're really, you have your base down, then absolutely push things a little bit. Your body will be able to take that. But don't do it at the beginning. That's how you end up hurting yourself and you're out for a while. So exercise um, in the right way, wear the right equipment, 
don't get discouraged if you don't exercise for a day or two days or a week or two weeks. They just happen sometimes. And so it doesn't mean that you're a failure at that or, or, or you're just not uh, committed or you know, any of those kind of things that we can tell ourselves, you just had, you know, life got in the way for a little bit. And so just start back and try to be as consistent with it as you can, knowing that that life will certainly get in the way at times. And that doesn't mean that, that you've, you know, you're, you're a failure. That's great. What are you most excited about with foot and ankle about new options, new opportunities, technology, innovation? Where are things headed? that you see that are benefit to the patients that you have? Well, let me start with non-operative things. I think that there are aspects of, of bracing, the way we have been able to have patient-specific bracing, bracing options that are articulated, meaning the, uh, the ankle will still move in the brace, the brace will still move while it holds the appropriate position and gives the appropriate support to the structure that's hurting. Um, I think bracing has been, that's been an innovation that's been important to, to us. Um, we've had some innovations in physical therapy, such as uh, uh, BFR, blood flow restriction, where, where they can do, uh, they can put tourniquets on and uh, up top and strengthen muscles below that by starving them a little bit of oxygen, but just in, in, in that way, it actually can make a muscle, uh, once, the, once you get uh, some more physical therapy down the road, it can make the muscle stronger, faster. Um, so there's some innovations with cold therapy and uh, altered gravity, meaning that you can go into a machine where you're not having to put all your weight on your foot and ankle and slowly work your way up where the machine can hold you up and, and it's less than your body weight, but you can still weight bear. And that's been a huge advancement uh, in our field in orthopedics is the gradual increase in weight that we can uh, we can afford patients as they're trying to recover. The advancements in orthobiologics, that is both your, your own biology that we're able to take stem cells from you, blood from yourself, and we're able to spin it down into the healing elements um, that allow for a tissue to heal faster, uh, more predictably, stronger, um, is uh, has been an innovation, and we can now offer that to our patients uh, in in the clinic in a way that we were not able to uh, a number of years ago. And that's both uh, the, their own biology as well as that made in the lab. And that's been a, a big innovation from a uh, from a non-operative standpoint. The orthotics that we can make, the inserts for your shoes, what what can go into your shoe, we're, we're much more technical in how we can figure out what fits your foot and how we can map your foot out. Standing has been a big leap forward. Speaking of standing, our, our ability to image in a weight-bearing manner has has been incredibly helpful to know how to treat patients, both surgically and non-operatively. Uh, Campbell Clinic has a standing CAT scan, and I think one of the one of the few, if if not the other, in this in this region. But we uh, we have a standing CAT scan, and that's been incredibly beneficial to us as physicians, and and of course 
to our patients as well in understanding the pathology because we we stand up we weight bear on our foot and ankle and so trying to get uh, all the information needed from a non-weight bearing image has historically been difficult and has been limiting and having the ability to get weight bearing images has has been incredibly helpful as well. And so those are just a few of the non-operative ways that that we've advanced in the last few years. And what would you say to a a patient or to someone a part of this community, what's the benefit to them to be connected to a place that is in tune and aware and adopting cutting-edge technology and research in a way that benefits them in very unique ways that are maybe not available a lot of other places? We are often uh, pioneers in, in orthopedics and try to, because of our leadership in, in orthopedics, uh, our connections and our relationships with physicians around our, the country and around the world, uh, we have access to information and research and cutting-edge technology and procedures uh, and treatments that I think many places that are more isolated, not as outwardly focused as Campbell Clinic is, uh, not as uh, plugged in to uh, the uh, innovations worldwide might not have access to. And because of that, it allows us to offer that to patients. What are you most excited about and what are you most hopeful for, given your strong history with Campbell Clinic given your strong history with your father being a surgeon, your work today, the pride of that, and then seeing what's happening and continuing to happen in this community and others around the South? Well, part of it is uh, I did speak to the, to the non-operative uh, aspects of, can- of, of treatment, and I am excited about that. That's fun to see that, see the advancements there and what we're able to do. And I am committed to treating folks conservatively if they're able to to be treated conservatively. That being said, I'm a surgeon. I love doing surgery. It's, uh, it's a great privilege that I get to do it, and I get to do what I, I love to do. So I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, speak to the, the innovations we have surgically um, in foot and ankle, because it is what I'm, I'm passionate about. But So you, maybe I need to ask you, what are you most excited about from an innovation standpoint when it comes to surgery? Yeah, we've and then we'll come back to the other. We've spoken about non-operative approaches, but um, as a surgeon, that's my passion, and I love I love what I do. I love thinking through how to do it better every day. I love the fact that I am around colleagues that are the 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 best of the best at what they do and so I have those resources and we're able to to discuss uh, approaches to surgery but the fact that we can now replace ankles hips and knees have been around for a long long time shoulders have have been around a fairly long time ankles do not have that that kind of history with them they uh, first put in a number of years ago, got okay in the 80s and 90s, got really good in the early 2000s, and have, in my opinion, are a very viable option for a large 
part of the community that have the, the right diagnosis, have end-stage arthritis of their ankle that's, that's just not responding to conservative treatment, you can change their lives with total ankles, with ankle replacements. Replacing someone's ankle can change their life. And it is a safe and effective approach in a way that, that has not been available to us as surgeons in the past. So that's something that I'm that I'm passionate about and 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 think has been a huge leap forward for us. I'm excited about. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is our focus more and more on minimally invasive surgery, what's called MIS, minimally invasive surgery. But MIS uh, surgery has changed uh, the way I approach certain pathology, foot and ankle pathology, certain foot and ankle disorders, and, and not all of them for sure. There's certain things that just aren't amenable to that. But being able to do surgery through a small incision allows the patient to recover faster. Obviously, cosmesis is is improved. They have less pain. Um, and, and the more we are able to do that and the advancements are, are continuing, uh, I think that is going to be a big emphasis on on foot and ankle surgery and part of my practice going forward as well. I already do more minimally invasive surgery than than probably most foot and ankle surgeons, and I'm committed to that and uh, and believe that it's been a, a huge benefit for my patients and for our patients as foot and ankle surgeons around uh, the United States and, and Europe. And I'd probably... I probably need to give credit where credit's due. The, the, the focus really started in Europe, and uh, and America was a little bit uh, uh, slow to to adopt. But Campbell Clinic in America has been one one of the leaders in that area, and I think that that will continue to expand. It requires specialized equipment. It requires specialized. Uh, fixation devices, specialized imaging devices to be able to do it well and do it right. And and I'm, I'm just grateful that I'm a part of a clinic that has invested in those resources. That's awesome. A lot of exciting things that are going to continue to unfold. There are. It's why this is the greatest job in the world, because there's just always new things coming. There's always ways to be better. That's one of the great parts of of what I do and and one of the things that that makes this such an incredible profession. Dr. Richardson, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. This has been fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search the Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.